Uh, that sermon bumper filmed on location, on site, right here on the third floor. We were slinging paint on the wall, playing the rock and roll music from the devil, and asking ourselves the question, will God come through? In week one, we asked the question, will God come through when we feel inadequate, when we say we're in over our head? And today, sort of the opposite end of the pendulum, we're going to look at, will God come through when I need wisdom? And I ask you today, I wonder really, uh, how many of you in here today are facing an important decision in life? Anybody, you don't have to raise your hand, somebody did, that's okay. Uh, Listen, a Columbia researcher has told us that the average person makes about 70 conscious decisions per day. That would equal to 25,000 decisions a year if you live to be 80 years old. That's over 2 million decisions in your life. There's a pastor named Craig Rochelle, and he said this about decisions and what they lead to. He said, the decisions you make today determine the stories you tell tomorrow. How good is that? One, one, one more time. The decisions you make today determine the stories you tell tomorrow. With that sort of tense thing between today and tomorrow, let's throw it back to yesterday. I want to show you a picture of me back in the day. Not a high-quality photograph. Okay. Susan, could you, my, could my family come up and just circle up and hug me? I want to apologize to my family. This is uh, my grandmother. You've heard me talk about Mavis. She almost lived to 101 years old. Uh, presided over her funeral a year ago, June. This is my older sister, Gina, repping Jaws. And then that's me on the left. I went to Grandma's house for the holidays, and they told me not to go next door and get my hair cut. But I didn't listen. I went next door and got my hair cut. And hundreds of people... 45 years later, laughed at this haircut. It really is not that funny to me now, and certainly wasn't then. Here's what I did. I didn't listen to good advice. And I made a decision to do what I felt like doing, and I went next door to Grandma's friend's house, and I had her cut my hair for free. And you see the result. And here's what happened. Hair back then was really important to me. Before I lost my hair, it was red. And before it was red, if you're listening online, it was toe-headed, just blonde. You see that. I was almost 10 years old, a toe-headed little boy here. And I was so distraught by this haircut that I didn't go home for two and a half weeks. I just stayed at Grandma's house in Belmont in Tishomingo County. Anybody ever been up that way? I just stayed up in Tishomingo County. I didn't want to go back home so anyone would see me. And every day, I don't even think I was a Christian, but every day I prayed to some God above that my hair would grow back the right way. We make decisions, don't we? And what is it in us? Okay, we can take that picture down now if we could. (laughs) And everybody pass your phones into the aisle, and we'll have ushers pick up those phones, and you'll get new ones tomorrow. When it comes to decisions, there's something in us, right, that we shun advice. Experts are all around us, and we have experts weighing in on things that really matter. We should exercise at least three to four times a week, 30 minutes per session. Do you? 
we learn in study after study that texting and driving is far more dangerous than drinking and driving. Do you? We're told by the experts that we should eat a lot of fruits and vegetables and lay off the sweets. Do you? We're told that we should get seven to eight hours of sleep a night and that we should change our oil every three to 7,000 miles. Opinions vary there. But you should change your oil regularly. You should floss your teeth. But do we? You know the answer to that is time and time again, we stubbornly refuse and we elevate ourselves into the seat of the expert and we think we can get by with it. 70 conscious decisions you'll make today. You already made a great one, I pray, coming to church. And you'll make a bunch more this day. And you'll make 25,000 this year. And if you live to be 80, you'll make some 2 million decisions. And the decisions you make today will determine the story that you tell tomorrow. Last week, will God come through when I, when I feel inadequate? Today, will God come through when I need wisdom? We're throwing it back old school. We're in this uh, section of Scripture called First and Second Kings. And it is the time where the kings reigned in the nation of Israel. Who was a little Bible trivia here? Who was the... Isn't that funny, by the way? I was thinking of Bible trivia the other way. Anybody know what trivia means? Trivia about trivia. Do you know what the... If you, trivia is translated as useless knowledge. Bible trivia. How did that make it past all the editors, huh? Bible, the Word of God, right? Useless knowledge. Anyway, some Bible trivia for you. Who was the first king of Israel? Do you know? King? King Saul. Somebody said King Tut in the back. <laughs> king Saul was the first king. And who was the second king? He was the greatest king. King David. And we remember last week, he reigned some 40 years. They defeated all the neighboring nations. They built a wall. Don't read this ancient story through a modern political lens. But they built a wall and they enjoyed economic prosperity and national security. And David reigned over the most glorious of 40 years in Israel's history. And then we picked up the story in 1 Kings 1 and 2 last week where King David grew sick. Uh, he, the scripture tells us philosophically, pragmatically, he went the way of all, or was about to go the way of all the earth. And on his dead death's bed, last words or lasting words, he pulled his son Solomon to him and gave him these words, gave him a charge to be the king. And Solomon, we saw in the story, he felt inadequate, didn't he? He was in over his head. What did he say? Anybody remember? I'm but a child. I am not up for this. And we learned, even though the story is so ancient, we found great leadership lessons and life principles for today. Uh, king David tells him, be strong. If you're a leader, be strong. Be obedient to God and ask for wisdom. And we're fast forwarding into the story today. We're going to be in First Kings chapter 12, and we are greeted uh, with a couple of guys, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And Rehoboam, in fact, I went into my daughter's room last night and said, Haley, I'm going to call on you tomorrow to discuss the rules and reigns of Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And she responded quickly, Dad, I'll be working in the nursery tomorrow. So she's off the hook, and so are you. I'll tell you a little bit about it. Some of you may recall these kings. So you got King Saul, King David, King Solomon, and then you have the time where Solomon a son is reigning, and that's where we're going to pick up the story. And so Jeroboam, uh, Rehoboam rather, is summoned. Okay, he's the, the king, the new king of Israel, and he's called forth. Uh, there's a meeting of officials, government officials, top officials, and the very top official, Jeroboam, and they summon him, and they say this to him. They give him a charge in 1 Kings 12.4. If you're summoned, you're going to be charged. 
Your father made our yoke heavy. They're referring to Solomon. Now, therefore, lighten the hard service of your father and his heavy yoke on us, and we will serve you. In other words, lower taxes and reduce the labor load. Again, Republicans, simmer down. Don't see this as a time to dissect this politically. But he's called in and they say, hey, if you want to be popular with the people, and by the way, who does? Doesn't want that. If you're a leader, listen, leadership, sometimes you've got to go against the grain, right? But there's something in us. Look, it's in my heart. Someone last year got me a book entitled People-Pleasing Pastor. What an insult. But they know me. It's actually a gift. But you want to please the people, don't you? You want to please the people that's in our heart. And so the advice when Rehoboam is summoned to this meeting, they're telling him, hey, here's how, here's how you do it. You lower the taxes. By the way, I'm, who's the guy? I'm voting for the guy that's going to give me $1,000 every month. Have y'all seen that? Joe watched the Democratic debate. I'm with him. $1,000 every month. I'm signing up for that. So here it is. You want to be popular with people. Lower the taxes. Reduce the debt load. And Rehoboam, like any good leader, he wants to ponder. Don't be hasty, right? Haste leads to waste. There's all kind of verses about that. And Rehoboam says this. He goes, hey, you guys go away and come back in three days. There's just something in the Bible about three days. There's just a lot of three-day stories. And he says, come back to me in three days and I'll give you my response. And so Rehoboam, he hears from the old guys, the elders. Verse 7, 1 Kings 12, 7. The old guys, the elders, they said to him, if you will be a servant to this people today and serve them and speak good words to them when you answer them, then they will be your servants forever. Love the people. Listen to the people. Don't make their lives harder. Love them. And likely, they'll be more loyal to you. That's the sage advice from the old guys. And Rehoboam doesn't want to hear it. That's not the answer he wants. He doesn't want to serve the people. He wants to be high and lofty. He wants another way. In fact, he wants the people. He didn't want to serve them. He wants the people to serve him. Something's trapped in his heart. And he doesn't want that advice. And what do you do? What do you do when you get advice that you don't want? Do you know this? You get a second opinion, which is wise in the medical field. If somebody's giving you a diagnosis on your health and well-being, Go get that second opinion. But here we see this stubborn refusal to do what is right. And Rehoboam turns from the elders, the old guys, and their sage advice. And what does he do? Verse 10 and 11, he goes to his high school boys. He goes with the, to the guys that he grew up with. And here's what they say to him. And the young men, let me translate there because we're just giving you a little bit of the story. The hot-tempered, hasty, immature, trash-talking, Foolish, inexperienced high school friends said this to him. Thus shall you speak this to the people who said to you, Your father made our yoke heavy, but you lighten it for us. Thus shall you say to them, My little finger is thicker than my father's thighs. And now, whereas my father laid on you a heavy yoke, I will add to your yoke. My father disciplined you with whips, but I will discipline you with scorpions. In other words, I'm going to make it harder on you. I'm going to go the easy way for me and make it harder on you. And faced with this decision, 
that he took a few days to ponder. He could have gone with the advice of the elders, those who've experienced life, those who were with his father Solomon, who helped build the kingdom of Israel and led for the most part well. I mean, they were, they were, they were guys, so they were very imperfect. But they were loyal and they were faithful and they stuck together and they wanted to lead well. They wanted to serve God well in this time of Israel's history. But he decides to go with his boys. And the result, some of you know, it's a divided kingdom. This story plays out and this one decision, this one really bad decision, hear me, this one decision that he got wrong, This one time that he listened to the wrong advice, it led to him being toppled, to Rehoboam having to flee the country, and the whole nation of Israel was divided in two. Significant part of world history here that many of you have studied. And so, let's go to the maps. Always be weary when the preacher says that on a Sunday morning. But you'll see here the kingdom as they were divided. And in the, the north is Israel, and in the south is Judah. And Rehoboam returned to the land and he was in Judah, but 10 of the 12 tribes of Israel did not remain with him. They remained here with Jeroboam. And so Jeroboam led Israel and Rehoboam led Judah. And we see division. And here's the thing. Nobody, uh, as far as I know, in here is a king of a land, but everybody has a kingdom. If you own a home or have a yard or have a family or have a stake of leadership anywhere, you have a kingdom of sorts. It varies by person. It varies by influence. But everybody has some type of kingdom. And every life in here, there are decisions you make that affect other people. Will it bring people together? Will it be wise? Will it unite people? Will it move us forward or will it divide? Will it make things worse? And often, look, Not 70 decisions a day or 25,000 a year or over 2 million in a lifetime, but there are some decisions that have collateral damage that will affect other people. And so here we see the division. We see a new history. Rehoboam, this king, faced at this crossroads. What will I do? He needed wisdom. So I want to give you from this story three things that could help you in your life. The first that I want to share with you is this. Start. It sounds obvious, but how many of you know or you're gaining a sense that it's the obvious things that we miss? Weekly, I will counsel people. It's an honor. I'm not really that good at it, but it's an honor. And some of you will come to me and you are talking to me about a complicated mess in your life. And let me tell you, the, the result, more times than not, is a, it's not a complicated solution to get you out of the complicated mess. In fact, it's really simple. It's a simple solution, difficult now. It could be a heavy load, but it's something really simple. It's something that's been neglected. It's something essential and basic that you've missed. And this is one of those things, right? Nobody's going to sit here today and go, oh, preacher told me to start with God. I didn't see that coming, right, at church today. But we miss this. We miss it. We, we do what a friend of mine says. We throw up a perfunctory prayer. And I can be guilty of this. In fact, when I was preparing this message this week, 
I've thought of my own life and at times a weakness in my leadership. You know, you gather with some Christians and you start a meeting and you throw up a prayer and then you move on and you sort of started with God, but not really. And you're moving on, making your plans. And you got to be careful that there's not bitter jealousy and selfish ambition and man-made mythologies and all of that. Listen, we need to start with God. Look at how the prophet Isaiah, there's this promise here. Uh, it's contextualized, but the people of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Jeremiah, another major prophet. Jeremiah 33, call to me. God says, call to me and I will answer you. Call out to me and I will hear you. I will hear your, your cry. James chapter 1 and verse 5. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, but do you? Now these passages, uh, we got to be careful, right? As soon as he hears. Now there's a lot that could be preached here that's really I'm in over my head, but as soon as he hears, he will answer you. That doesn't mean God isn't delaying. We've got to make sure we don't read into that. In fact, the passage I just quoted, James 1.5, that says, if any of you like wisdom, let him ask of God and he will hear you and he will give to you liberally. He will give to you generously. I had a real staunch conservative Republican tell me several years ago, when you quote James 1.5, don't say the word liberally, that God would give liberally. Isn't that something? Okay, so God gives liberally, generously. But that sounds like, kind of like this passage, oh, you know, vending machine God, just throw something in and God will immediately give you what you need. But if you know James chapter 1, it's all about trials. Count it all joy when you fall into various trials. In fact, endure, you'll receive the crown of life, the crown of righteousness if you endure. There's a school of discipline. There's life lessons. But we cry out and we need to be patient knowing that God will hear. And He does. He does when we cry out. When we get that answer, we may have to wait. But start with God. In this story, Rehoboam never prays. Never prays. He says, come back. Come back in three days, I'll give you my answer. And he said it in a kingly way, as arrogance was brewing in his heart. But he never, there's no example of him falling on his knees and crying out to God. In Isaiah 6, when, when Isaiah gets this vision, Lord, woe is me, I am a man of unclean lips. I am, I am unclean, I, you are great, and I am not. And he falls down and seeks God. And here Rehoboam, entrusted with such great leadership, does not start, he does not start with God. Second thing, beyond starting with God, is that we can learn from this story, is to walk with the wise. You may know this, and every parent, I always get credit with parents when we drop Proverbs 13, 20 in the room, but we need it too, okay? If you're 40, 50, 60, 70. I had a guy visit me this week, good friend of mine, love him to death. He's 80 and a half years old. He told me that, I'm 80 and a half. Isn't that great? I think when you get a certain age, you start throwing the halves in again. Like, you know, we get that on the playground, right? Hey, I'm two and a half, I'm seven and a half, 11 and a half. But somewhere we stop. Maybe 11's too old. But we stop with the halves, right? Did my friend, 80 years old, I'm 80 and a half. If you're 80 and a half, this could be good. Walk with the wise and become wise, for a companion of fools suffers harm. Samson, in the Bible, do you know this story? Samson, apart from Christ, he had the greatest hero potential 
I would think of anybody in the Bible. That can be argued, but if you go back to the early stages and get it in culture and context of what was happening or what could have happened, Samson was a great man. And Samson is known, he was known in the Bible for his, his strength. He was known for his strength. But if you know how the story plays out, you know that it's strength wasted. And his life deteriorates into some sort of tawdry soap opera, some sort of very unhealthy reality show. And he succumbs. He gives in to temptation after temptation, strength wasted. Samson, strength wasted. You could have great strengths, but if you're counting on yourself and in your own strength, it could be a life entirely wasted. And what a tragedy Samson is in this story in the Bible. And Samson traveled his hard road alone. Do you know that? And you look and you think about it. Hear me now. Think about it. The people that God uses, the women and the men in the Bible, they had cohorts. They had people with them. They had a sidekick. Samson had no sidekick. Moses, he had Aaron. He had Joshua. Joshua had Caleb. David had Jonathan. Paul had Barnabas and Silas. Samson had nobody. And when the road got hard, he was traveling it alone. And that strength was turned to weakness because temptation is real. Do you know that? Temptation is real. And all you need to do, we had friends, we went out with them Friday night. They've cut cable and everything. They're just on Netflix. They're trying, to, uh, they're trying to remove themselves from a lot of the bad news of the world today. And listen, it's, it, that's hard to do because there's so much bad news. And weekly, if not daily, there's story after story of people who have this strength but give in. They don't have people to walk with them. And so walk with the wise. If you're going to grow wise, start with God. Hey, and walk with the wise. And I, I want to tell you, highs and lows, ebbs and flows, trial and errors, I am that story. I think of my own life. Man, I want my kids to hear this. Only one of them's in the room today, but I want my kids to hear this. And I want all of you as God's children to hear this today, but um, you need advice from people. You need you need to walk with people that are wise. And some of you, you may have a few church-going friends, but you might not have any Christ-following friends at all. And you need one. And you need some because people either turn you away from God or they turn you toward God. Look, when I get discouraged, I, I'll be honest with you, just being vulnerable, I'm prone to disappointment at times. You know me as an optimist. I'm high energy. Like, I'm caffeinated. I'm an extrovert. I love people. I love my job, but I get prone to discouragement. And just the slightest little variation or shifting of shadow makes me want to throw in the towel. So I've got pastors. I've got three guys that I call. And I talk to them, and I honestly, I love y'all. But I talk to them in a way that I don't talk to you. And they're in this with me. They're in different states, but they're, they're, they're in this. And they know how my sensitivity can be a strength, but it can be a weakness. And they talk me off the ledge and talk to me. And y'all, some of the best decisions I've made are a direct result of the people that have spoken into my life. Man, it's so true. Financial advice, I, taught, I was taught from an early age, don't rob God. Give to Him. And I'm so glad. Now, I make preacher money, okay? So, interpret that how you want to. But if I try to learn tithing now, it'd be really hard to do. 
But I learned it as a kid. When you get a dollar, you give God a dime. When you get a hundred bucks, right? You give him ten. When you get a thousand, you give him a hundred and on and on and on. And you do the math. And by the way, it is math. And God wants to show us that 90% with him is better than 100% without him. And learn it and learn it early. If you're 80 and a half, learn it. But I got that advice and it helped me and it helped me. And I, I tell people in pre-marriage counseling, y'all know I do a lot of weddings. And when I talk to people in pre-marriage counseling, I tell them often, you know, couples fight about money, sex, kids, communication, and in-laws. And Susan and I are five for five. But here's the thing. We fight about money. We fight about money, but the stakes aren't as high because we're saving 10% and we're giving over 10% now and we're living on the rest and we fight about the rest. But the stakes aren't as high. You see? Biblical principles of stewardship and money management, it's freeing. It is. And I needed people to give me that advice and stay on me so that I could live that out. Career advice, relationship advice. I'm so glad I didn't pursue some of the riffraff that I've dated in my past. If any riffraff is listening to this online later this week, I wasn't talking about you. <laughs> but I'm so glad that in Buckhead, in Atlanta, when I brought Susan to some of my best friends who were scattered abroad throughout the country and they uh, checked her out. Um, that's probably a terrible thing to say. But uh, they interacted with Susan and with me and I remember one of my best friends who speaks into my life in a unique way and outside that restaurant he said he said two words pursue sue and I'm glad I took his advice I'm glad I listened to somebody wise and forgot about the riffraff financial advice career advice look I stay in a group I stay in a small group I have friends. It's, sometimes it's not all that glorious. It's just normal. But to gather weekly with a group of people, have dinner with them, talk about the sermon, always awkward if you were the guy that preached the sermon, but open up the Bible and talk about connecting Sunday morning to real life. It's a real simple thing. We do it on Wednesday nights. We always want to be in a group. And I listen to people around me. We've got some really smart people uh, in our group. And I learn from them. And I'm an avid reader. I want to encourage you to read more than links on social media and more than just images, but to open a book, to crack the book and stay with it. I'm so glad I had some mentors in my life to turn me on to the love of books. I see a librarian friend of mine in the room. There aren't many of us that love books. Look, I pray, I pray that we would grow as readers, but to learn uh, right beyond this wall is my office and library. And there are a bunch of dead mentors in that room. A bunch of authors that have lived, or they've already lived. And their wisdom speaks into me. Because you know, there's wisdom and there's consequences. Do y'all know the difference? Wisdom, right? You can learn the lesson without having to make the mistake. Because people have gone before you. 1 Corinthians 10. Hey, 1 Corinthians 10. The people of Israel in the wilderness under, under the you know, poor leadership. They, they were stubborn and they stiff-necked, hard-hearted. They turned away from God. What does it say to us? It says, hey, look at them as an example. Young people, I don't, we don't have many college students in here today, high school students, young people, um, you'll be in an academic setting where people will uh, attack the Bible and oftentimes we, uh, those people are smart, they're very intelligent, they don't know better. And there's a lot in Scripture, a ton in Scripture. People throw out this and that and that and violence and the slavery and this and all, all these terrible things. They are terrible things. 
but they were prescriptive of the time of when it was written. And we need to understand that and we need to know that. But look, there's so many how not to's in the Bible. There's gotta be a lot more how not to's than how to's. And so we can learn from consequences. Pastor Wayne Cordero in Hawaii, he talks about the difference between wisdom and consequences. And he says, wisdom puts a fence at the top of the hill and consequences visit you in the hospital when you're in the tourniquet, right? And elevated in the body cast. So do you want to learn just consequences? Or do you want to, you want to learn from people who've gone before you? So start with God and walk with the wise. And lastly, listen. Listen to and apply wise counsel. Listen and apply wise counsel. Here's a photo I want to show you of a book. It's called Over the Edge. And Over the Edge, subtitled Death in the Grand Canyon, the sub-subtitle, Gripping Accounts of All Known Fatal Mishaps in the Most Famous of the World's Seven Natural Wonders. And here you see in yellow, Newly expanded 10th anniversary. You know why they had to do this? Because people keep dying in the Grand Canyon. Since the 1870s, 700 plus people have died in the Grand Canyon. You guys ready to book your next vacation? 700 plus people. You know, Lanny Pace and Ed, Edgar and I, a couple other guys, we were there um, a year ago, almost to the day. What surprised me is not that 700 plus people have died in the Grand Canyon. It's how they've died. Story after story is in this book. I read this after I went to the Grand Canyon, not before. 38-year-old father is teasing his teenage daughter and he's pretending like he's fallen off a cliff and his own laughter, I guess he got a kick out of himself, his own laughter and the loose soil combined and resulted in him falling some 450 feet to his own death. This year, uh, outlets, media outlets picked this up in a big way, but a 19-year-old young lady, probably looking for a, an iconic, even ironic picture to put on Facebook, and she stood next to a do not stand here sign, and she probably wanted to show all of her Facebook friends that she was on the edge of adventure. And she gave way. That soil gave way, and she fell some 1,500 feet to her death. And I can tell you as a pastor, there's story after story around us of when you and I in our foolishness, we minimize consequences. We don't listen and we don't apply. Or we listen and we interpret it very differently. And we think, oh, I'm just flirting. It's just... A, it's just a simple flirtation at the office. You that big? Are you that strong? Do you know where that can lead? Do you? Oh, I'm just, I'm just, I, I'm, I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna apply God's principles in this area of my life. And we flirt and we get close to the edge. And that doesn't end well. Doesn't end well. Consider the following. Often, we're the last ones to see the hard truths in our own lives. All right, we're going to a little bit different level. We're going to a deeper level with this, but stay with me. Often, we're the last ones to see the hard truths in our own lives. I want to say that wisdom, 
A lot of wisdom is encouragement. I love that. But there's a lot of wisdom that's warning. We double dated a few months ago with a pastor in our community, one heck of a pastor, dear friend. And he looked at me and he goes, RG, man, I feel like the only thing we need to do is not screw up. But can I tell you, that's hard. Apparently, that's really hard. Someone posted the other day. They said, man, does anybody know of a pastor who's ministered faithfully for 50 plus years and he hadn't wrecked his family, his kids, his marriage, his church? Man, if you know anybody like that, tell me. I think he's writing a book. But do you know anybody that hadn't wrecked their lives? And so we need warning. And this is true of me. And so let, let, me, let me speak for a moment. We're rounding toward home, but let me speak for a moment because what I have found in my life and yours is that these warnings and these wisdom come with questions and comments from people in your circle. And it's so subtle that you miss it. And I want to ask you today to listen and apply it. It could be a child saying, Daddy, can we play? It can be a coworker saying, Is everything all right it could be an employee saying, I've noticed something wrong with you. It could be a parent saying, we need to talk. It could be a spouse, this one hurts. It could be a spouse saying, you were wrong. And with everything in me, I want to preach and pastor you in this moment and say, listen to those things. Listen to those things because when you get my age or you get to be 80 and a half like my friend that sat down with me this week, you see a lot of men who missed it when their little boy or little girl said, Daddy, can we play? And they missed it. And when someone at work said, is everything all right? And they lied and said yes and went about their business and held on to that secret. So today, the story of Rehoboam. He needed wisdom, but he listened. He listened to the wrong people. Often we're the last ones to see the hard truths in our lives. This morning I'm challenging you to start with God. To walk with the wise and then listen and apply the wise counsel that you receive. That was a word about listening. But here in closing, a word about acting, applying. Imagine with me, um, close your eyes if it would help, but imagine with me you're on a movie set and there's an Academy Award winning director. Cameras surround the scene. Lights are just at the right angle. A multi-million dollar budget ensures the highest quality production. An ensemble of A-list actors has been assembled. They're at the peak of their career. They're passionate about their craft. They're immersed in the role of the character they're about to play. And an assistant director, you know, the guy or gal with the headset and the clipboard, they say into that moment, they speak into the moment what everybody's expecting. They say, action! But pretend that after that word, that's everybody's cue, after that is spoken, there's nothing. 
The cameras don't roll. The scene is not shot. The movie is not made. The story is not told. How important is acting? How important is it to take action? Let me pray for us and over us today. And as our band, our worship team comes up, at the beginning I ask you, sort of postulated that maybe some today are facing a big decision. One of the prayers I'm praying for our church that's so decidedly young is that God would give us people who've experienced life, who are old, but who would give back. Job 12, 12, Psalm 78, talk about this very thing. About the old folks talking to the younger folks and declaring the praises of God. Encouraging the young and warning us and it's what we need. Would you stand with me and I want to pray over you and then we're going to close this service. John's going to have the final word, John Wood, but we're going to invite you, um, not for an open time of invitational prayer today, but to practice what uh, we've ordained to do each um, month at the end of every month to take communion, to follow Jesus and His disciples as we do this in remembrance of Him. Father, I pray thanking You for stories of old that because they've been recorded and disseminated and we have them and we can open them and we can learn and read, we can see. And God, I pray for all of us. I, I do pray particularly for younger people. That we could seek wisdom. We could unearth it. Avoid some consequences. And God, for those here today whose consequence of their sin and their foolishness weighs heavy on them, God, thank you for this simple act of worship. Communion. The Lord's Supper where we can do what Jesus did. We can take bread that represents your body and juice that represents your blood. We can remember this great sacrificial act of love that you who knew no sin became sin on our behalf that we might be made righteous. God, I pray today for everyone assembled here that we would start with you that we would walk with the wise and help us in deeper and ever abounding ways to listen and apply to act on this wise counsel. So now receive this act of simple worship from your people today. And Lord, for people, husbands and wives and parents and kids, eight-year-olds and 80-year-olds, Lord, help us. There are people who need to take a next step, and it's really clear today what that needs to be. And help us to act. The decisions we make today 
will determine the stories we tell tomorrow. Let that weigh on us in Jesus. And God, as we take communion, I thank you that we can be a part by your grace. As scholars say, by imputation, we can be a part of this story of your love for us extended to us. In Christ we pray. Amen. As we sing, follow the person in front of you and they will come to a station in the room.